It's true, Lord. We, uh, we are hidden to you. Uh, and that is, that's a powerful truth, Lord, uh, that we are hid under uh, the shadow of your wings, that we are um, safe and secure, that, Lord, uh, even when we sing that we can come before the throne, that's because you've made that possible. You've granted us access by your grace and your mercy uh, and, your, and your work alone. Um, we can't lose that access. Uh, by anything we do, um, bad or good. And so, Lord, uh, thank you that uh, even now as we open up your word and then as we sing a little bit more, uh, Lord, we know and trust and believe uh, that we're in your presence and that you're with us and that uh, you long to love on your kids. And uh, we need to be loved on, Lord. Uh, would you take care of us, uh, lift our hearts uh, in this time, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. I'm going to take out my gum on camera. My mom will be so proud that I don't preach with my gum in the entire time. Uh, I'm Dave Burden. I'm the pastor of the Creep Hall Congregation. Um, it's good to be with you all this morning. And open up the word. Um, I just came from uh, our baseball field worship, which is a bunch of little people. And I was operating a slingshot, throwing uh, foam apples into the sky as we sang Fruits of the Spirit. And I can guarantee you that what we're about to do will not be as fun as that. So sorry, kids. Um, maybe I'll try to bring some apples next time to throw at y'all. But... Um, Excited to get into the Word this morning and hope uh, the Lord uses this time for us. I believe He will. So we're in a series that we have, have titled, Thy Kingdom Come. And um, how we have been walking through uh, these last few weeks is, is we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, but we haven't been looking at them necessarily just head on. We've been looking at them uh, through some interactions and uh, teachings of Jesus in the New Testament and how he unfolds uh, the heart and the application of the law uh, in the New Testament. And uh, really why we've been doing that is, is coming out of that series that we preached uh, right before this one, The Priesthood of the Believer, because we believe that Scripture teaches it, makes it really, really clear um, that, that Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments, this is said, that we are saved, God saved his people and he set them apart to be a kingdom of priests. So when we say thy kingdom come, what we really mean is, is that we have a king who is Jesus and we are a part of a new kingdom. Our allegiance is to him, it's to his heart and to his values and to his agendas. And that's why when he teaches, you know, his people to pray, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, yes, there is a kingdom that is to come, but we are the ones who usher that kingdom into the present right now. We are the, those who give a foretaste of that kingdom, right? We're ambassadors of that king, is what 2 Corinthians 5 said, or as 1 Peter 2, 9. We're, we're those who declare the praises of him who chose us, who made us a royal priesthood and a holy nation. That's our identity now to make the grace of the invisible king visible to the world around us. 
So if we're going to represent him, we need to know what does that look like? And that's why God gives us his word because he teaches us through his word. This, this, is, this is how you are to be. This is, this is what it looks like to be mine, to belong to me. So we're at the seventh command, which is uh, the command, do not commit adultery. But we are going to look at this command through the heart Jesus displays in John 8, verses 1 to 11, towards a woman who is caught breaking this very command. Salty, huh? All right. Let's see if we can do this. So I will read from Exodus 20, 14, and then John 1, or sorry, John 8, 1 to 11. Exodus 20, verses 14 you shall not commit adultery. And John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there, still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. This is God's word. All right. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, guide us now. Uh, teach us. Help us hear what you want us to hear. Help me say only what you want me to say. Uh, we need to hear from you. Amen. All right. Three things uh, that I would love, uh, you can, if you're the note-taking type, you can take some notes here, uh, that we'll look at in this passage. First one is this, me loves me some me, okay? Put that down as your first point. Second point, seeing clearly. And then third point, uh, captured by covenant love, okay? So me loves me some me, seeing clearly, and then captured by covenant love. Me loves me some me. So I want to start um, with just the command that's there in Exodus 20. Um, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, this may seem obvious to just say this uh, because if it made it in the Ten Commandments. Uh, sexual sin was a big deal uh, to the Lord. And... Um, I think it's probably safe to say uh, today, culturally, uh, we've moved pretty far away uh, from a biblical view of sexuality. Um, and just for those of you with little people in here, we're not going to dive into all of that this morning, so you take a deep breath. 
The sexual sin was a big deal because in the, uh, we're going to stay high up here. In the biblical context, sexuality isn't just a segmented part of our lives, right? Like we love to kind of parcel out our lives and say kind of I have my religious life, I have my work life, you know, maybe I have my relational life. That's not how the Lord views our lives and he doesn't encourage us to view our lives that way. It's all a part of one big thing. And sexuality isn't a segmented part of our life, but it was a physical expression of a spiritual and legal, or I'll use the word covenantal, of a covenantal reality between a man and a woman. You can think of it in terms of like a river, right? I, I have a, a stream that runs behind my house that floods my house from time to time. So I have a real love-hate with this stream, right? <laughs> but you know, a river is a beautiful thing when it stays within the banks for which it was created. It's when it gets outside of the banks that is, it's supposed to be encompassed in that it wrecks everything, right? Sex was to be had expressed within the banks of that covenant legal relationship between a man and a woman in the Bible. Two people had become one flesh, and, and sex was just an expression or a celebration, really. It was a celebration of that truth. So to commit adultery was to do something with your body that violates that covenant, that violates that contract between two parties. That's why God uses the language you know, there's actual adultery, which is what's happening here in this, in this passage, but God uses the language so many places in the Old Testament, it's scary. In Daniel, he uses it in Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, the whole book of Hosea. He's constantly using that same term, adultery, figuratively to talk about Israel and basically saying, I have wed myself to you, Israel, and when you go and you worship other gods, like you worship Baal or the Asherah poles or whatever Israel did, they did plenty of it, he calls them adulterers. He's saying you, you are physically doing something that is breaking. It's, it's, it's a river outside the banks of this covenant relationship that I have with you. In Jeremiah 2, he paints this picture. God, go read it. It's in the Old Testament, if you're wondering. In Jeremiah 2, he paints this picture of Israel, and he calls her a, a swift she-camel. That's a, kind of an interesting insult. I've never really called anybody a she-camel, but he basically says, um, you, you are like a, a camel in heat that is just sniffing the wind and following the cravings of your flesh and he, he paints that picture to basically literally say, you've, you've, you've been reduced to an animal state. You're, you're something subhuman in this state. Because all that matters is my desires and my cravings, myself. Me loves me some me. And all of that has moved ahead of the Lord. That's why we say that you can't break commandments two through nine without breaking the first, Right? The first one is to have nothing else ahead of the Lord. And so whether it's adultery or whether it's stealing or whether it's killing, all of those things are the fruit of having something ahead of this covenant relationship. Me loves me some me. And why that matters, why I, I take the time to even talk about that 
like that is this. I want, I want us to think about this this morning because this will help us connect to the story a little better. The act of adultery, because she was caught in the act, right? The act of adultery comes from a heart of adultery. That's why Proverbs 3 says, guard your heart because everything you do, every action you do comes out of your heart. The act of adultery comes from a heart of adultery. So this woman who is caught in the act, and, and you'll see when we unpack the story, um, she was caught in the act for reasons that aren't apparent just on the surface level. Um, she wasn't caught in the act. That didn't just happen, right? Like most major public exposures of sin, they don't just happen, do they? Or I guess we get, I'll, I'll use an I statement since that's what we do in small groups. My most profound failings in my life, in my marriage, um, they didn't just happen. They were a series of unchecked thoughts. They usually happened in isolation. They were a series of unrepented internal acts of heart idolatry that grew to the point to where I was willing to act on them in person. Like even when you see the news headlines, right, people say like, oh my goodness, can you believe, right? And what usually happens, what people find out is, is this has been going on for a long time. They just finally got caught. That's because the act of, a, of adultery comes from a heart of adultery. That's why when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and he was unpacking that sermon for people and the law for people, he says this, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. This is Matthew 5. But I say to you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. What is he doing there? He's putting the action and the thought right in the same boat and he's saying, one leads to the other, and they both are the same thing. Even if you don't act on it. Adultery is a heart issue. And at the heart of the law, because there, there's the negative command, don't do this, which if you're like me, you don't do well at being told not to do things. But the positive implication of that negative command is this. Don't commit adultery because you're in a covenant relationship. You're wed to the Lord or you're wed to your spouse. And so how you are, Israel, this is what he was saying to them when he told them don't commit adultery. How you are with your husband and your wife is a reflection of your relationship to the Lord. And that if you're gonna be a kingdom of priests for me, one of the most primary relationships in your life, which is to your spouse, your marriage actually can be this great billboard of something opposite than, of adultery, and it's covenant love. That's why when Jesus says in John 13, they will know that you belong to me because you love one another qualitatively different than the world does. There's a different nature to your love. So let's look more closely at the story now. This me loves me some me, all right? We're still on that point. Because this story involves, idol or it does involve idolatry. 
but adultery, right? And it, it would be really easy in reading this, and certainly the Pharisees and the teachers of the law wanted us to think this, that the woman was the main character of the story. She was the focus of the story, right? But if you, if you paid attention to what we read, there, there's two main characters. The woman's one of them. Obviously, Jesus is a character in the story as well, and the main character is the main character of the whole story. But the other main protagonists are these teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And they brought this woman, and it says there, we'll read it again, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. The actual language there is caught in the act of adultery. Now, we would tend to read that and think, oh, well, they heard about it or something, and they went and paid a house visit. But what that literally means is, is they caught her in the act of committing adultery. And almost every, well, I, I couldn't find a commentator that didn't agree with what I'm about to say, would agree that for that to happen, I mean, just think about it. Think about when you're committing a sin that you know you ought not commit. How, how much effort goes into hiding to secrecy, to making sure you don't get caught. I mean, you have to be reckless, right? Every commentator agreed that for this to happen in this culture, that they would have had to actually, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have set a trap for this woman. Maybe this was something she struggled with, but they actually baited her into the situation in order to exploit her and to trap Jesus, right? Part of, part of why we know that, part of why we know that is, is she's the only one brought before Jesus. You know, it does take two to tango, right? Come on, y'all, lighten up. Yes, thank you. <laughs> right? She's the only one brought before Jesus, not the man. And there's lots of musings as to how he escaped. But he should have been brought before Jesus as well, right? Because he was committing adultery. And even in their quoting of the law there, when they say, this woman is caught in the act of adultery, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. They quote it as it only pertains, the law didn't say such women. It, it would have talked about men and women. It didn't delineate between a man and a woman. Nor did the law of Moses demand stoning or death. It afforded it, but it did not demand that sentence for adultery. So it provided for that if the offense was found to be a certain way, but it didn't demand that. All of what I'm saying, all of what this is saying exposes something not about the woman, but about them, about the authorities. And here's what it exposes. Ultimately, as the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and those who knew it well or should know it better than anybody, they didn't love the law. They, didn't, they weren't interested in the heart of the law or the heart of the lawgiver. They didn't want to see it upheld properly. They certainly didn't care about their sister. If she truly was in sin, 
seeking to restore her and care for her, right? They didn't love this woman. They didn't love Jesus. Who they loved was themselves. And they saw Jesus as a threat to their authority, right? Because you don't try to trap something you don't feel threatened by, right? Like that, that's, that's called, I don't remember that old, uh, Sean Connery died this week. I'm just thinking about Sean. Let's take a moment. I'm kidding. He was wonderful, but he was in a movie, he was in a movie called Entrapment, right? It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Sorry about that. Yeah, but you, you, you start, they're trying to entrap Jesus. Why? Because you try to trap things that threaten what you want. And in trying to trap Jesus, what they showed was is they were trapped in their own self-love. The covenant love that they had was the covenant with themselves. Me loves me some me. And anything that gets in the way of that, it's a threat. And what they don't see, but they're about to, because we'll talk about seeing clearly next, is that their hearts were committing a form of adultery as well. They couldn't quite see it yet, but the woman that they were <laughs> using was about to be used to expose them. So secondly, seeing clearly. You ever heard the uh, expression, don't poke the bear? <laughs> don't poke the bear, right? Because the bear might bite back. I was watching a... Uh, a video earlier this week and someone was taking a selfie and they were doing pranks. They were walking around some store and they were taking selfies of themselves and it was somebody, they would walk up to somebody who was shopping and, you know, like looking at a shirt or something and they would start yelling, they're stealing, they're stealing. And, you know, everybody stops and turns around and freaks out. Well, the guy who was doing this started yelling this and the person turned around and it was a Vander Holyfield. Do you guys know who Evander Holyfield is? <laughs> he was the only guy who could like beat Mike Tyson back in the day. He's just this gigantic boxer. And you see this guy's face just absolutely go white. And he's like, oh my gosh, it's Evander Holyfield. <laughs> he starts running across the store. That's what's about to happen here, okay? They poke the bear. Because Jesus, who is God incarnate, right? The one who gave the law that they're misquoting. The law that reflects his character and his nature and, and his person as the ultimate non-adultering covenant lover. Jesus traps them in their own trap so that they could see themselves clearly. And this, this is hard, but I, I really want you to hear me say this, that Jesus loves his people so much that he won't let them love themselves for the wrong reasons. He's so committed to you that, that these Pharisees, they loved themselves for the wrong reasons, just like this woman hated herself for the wrong reasons. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna heal both of those things simultaneously. And so he traps them in their own trap. What does he say? Verse seven. So, you know, you can imagine the tension of the scene building, right? They, they put the question to him in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. You guys want to know what he wrote? I'm kidding. I don't know what he knows. 
But they kept on questioning him. You can hear him, letters like pushing him. Well, yeah, what do you say? What do you say? And he straightened up and he says this. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Mic drop. And he goes and <laughs> writes on the ground again. Why does he say that? What he does in that moment, and you would have to know, and I, I would have to know a lot about the Old Testament law, but Jesus knows the law, right? And he knows their hearts too. He takes their law and he turns their law as a trap on them. And in asking them that question, he does something really powerful. And that is, is that he doesn't contradict the Mosaic law. He says, yeah, you have the legal right to stoner, but only on the basis of being without any sin in this specific situation as well. Like when he says there, let any one of you who is without sin, he's not talking about generally without sin because nobody could say yes to that, right? But understand the, the law in the Old Testament, it would have meant without sin in this specific situation. Because according to Mosaic law, if you were gonna throw the first stone, you had to be a witness of the offense and you had to be without any guilt in the offense. You could have no possible wrongdoing in what had happened. You had to be without guilt in the situation, right? So what he does by dropping this one little sentence is he brings about their arguing for an answer to utter silence because he exposes that you're cherry-picking the law right now. And they knew something because they were good students of the law, right? They knew when they were manipulating it and they knew what it was, that to throw a stone at her would to be condemning their own actions that got everyone else before Jesus in the first place. She committed adultery in one way, they committed it in another. And the trap that they had set for Jesus had backfired. And everyone in the story was seeing clearly at this point. Her sin wasn't the only sin on display. Theirs was. It was in full view. And so it says there, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. And we would love to, I mean, we read stuff like that in the service level, and like, the older, the wiser, right? It's like, oh. But really, I mean, that could have been what's going on, but likely it was this because the oldest would have been the elders, and if she was stoned unjustly, they would have been the ones held responsible. Still an act of saving me. Me loves me some me, even in this moment. Until everyone had, had left, right? And the word there is everyone had abandoned her. I mean, you could argue they abandoned her when they brought her there, and they set her up. And now she sits before Jesus, the only true innocent party, right? The only one who could rightfully condemn her for her sin. He's the only one who had no sin in this instance and no sin. 
he who knew no sin. And how does he respond? Well, the third point, he captures her. He doesn't trap her. (laughs) He, He captures her with covenant love. He didn't trap her, but he, he catches her up in an in a absolute moment of mercy and of grace and of affection. And what does he say to her? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are your accusers? Where are they at? No one's going to throw a stone? She says, no, sir. So what does he say? Then neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. This is, this is important. Like, sequences matter. Like I know how many of you have learned how to make sourdough bread during the pandemic, right? <laughs> you know, you, there's a sequence to that process, right? And how you do it matters and the timing matters. Well, this sequence matters. He doesn't condone her adultery, right? He calls it a life of sin, right? But he doesn't condemn her first. And y'all, if you want to share the gospel with your friends, this is the gospel in a nutshell. (laughs) I have the right to condemn, and I don't. I show mercy, I show grace, I'm a faithful lover even when you're unfaithful. And Jesus understands something, and it's powerful. It's this. It's only in experiencing my love, not my condemnation, that will actually capture your heart so that you can leave a life of sin. You can leave a life of of adultery. Love, not law, will set you free to follow my ways. It's the whole gospel right here. It's not, and this is how we often live with one another. It's how they were living with her. It's not go and leave your life of sin and then you won't be condemned. Right? That's the law. Go read Romans 7 and 8. Paul talks about it. I I even want to stop sinning and I can't stop sinning. Right? Right? I I don't want to do it, and I do it anyways, and I don't want to do it, and I keep doing it, and I do it again, and what a wretched man am I. And what does he say in Romans 8, 1? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My condemnation is not relieved from me by me stopping sinning. It's because of what he did. Jesus doesn't say, go and leave your life of sin, then you're not condemned. He says, you're not condemned by me. You're loved by me. Even in your most heinous and overt sin, do you see that he loves her before she ever repents or even shows faith? Because he knows that when you see me looking at you and you hear that verdict, you're not condemned. You're set free. And what we're set free from is free from trying to keep the law in order to be loved. And we are loved into keeping the law. We're free. We had a quote on our wedding announcement I thought about the other day. 
from the Indigo Girls. Yeah. They have a song called The Power of Two. And it says this, one of the lines says, the closer I'm bound in love to you, the closer I am to free. Sums it up pretty well. The closer I'm, I'm bound, I'm, I'm in this covenant relationship with you, I'm free now, right? I'm free now to love you, Lord, first and in a committed and in a covenant way and then to love others, not to live a life of me loves me some me. So the invitation is here, the command is here, and why we can leave an adulterous life, actually or figuratively. This is because you and I, we were made and we are offered covenant love. We are made for devoted relationships to God and to one another, not to be trapped in self-seeking self-love in a covenant with me, but to be in that, that covenant love that the only the Lord offers. Let me just say this. Um, love like that uh, is foreign to the world, and yet it's what our world is desperately needing to experience. And you have it. You have it in Jesus, okay? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, Thank you uh, that you're that kind of a lover, that you're merciful. Even when we had every right for the stones to be thrown at us, you treat us like this woman. Uh, and even when we're in our self-righteousness, like the Pharisees, you treat us like them. You, you cause us to take our eyes off of everybody else and their sin and to see ourselves clearly. Lord, if there ever was a time... Uh, where it's so easy uh, to live in an us and them, to choose sides, to point out everybody else's brokenness in order to, to be on the right side, uh, which is my side. Uh, God, restore us to sanity. Uh, restore us to the uh, joy of our salvation that um, you are gracious um, and committed to loving us in our self-righteousness and in our unfaithfulness. <laughs> um, because neither of those things um, establish our relationship with you, you have. So may we rest in that, may we rejoice in that, uh, and may we have a fresh experience of that. Uh, Jesus, the great lover of our souls, you who are so merciful, we pray in your name, amen.